welcome to Role-Playing History, the podcast where we explore the history of role-playing games. I'm Wayne Davis, and I'll be your guide for today's tour. Episode 26, the D&D-AD&D split. A couple of weeks ago, we broke down the original version of Dungeons & Dragons, which gave some of us a trip down memory lane. This week, I'm going to take my own trip down memory lane as we take a look at the first edition of Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, as well as the various boxes that made up Dungeons & Dragons. Now, a little bit of background is required before we get into one system or the other. As you may remember from either the D&D or TSR episodes from the first month of this podcast, Dungeons & Dragons was split into two brands beginning in 1977. The idea behind the split was that players who wanted a more basic, simple game would have their version, while those who wanted more rules, options, and next-level gaming advice would have a game tailored for them. So for the next 23 years, Dungeons & Dragons would have two names and two versions. Dungeons & Dragons was the simpler version, while Advanced Dungeons & Dragons was as you might expect, the more complex one. What's interesting about the D&D basic set, which is the first box set in the D&D line, is that it was almost an afterthought in the D&D process. See, TSR was already well into working up the rules for what would become a D&D when they were approached by a fellow by the name of John Eric Holmes. He didn't work for TSR, but he was a D&D enthusiast. And he had a proposal for TSR. He would re-edit and rewrite the original rules of D&D into a version that would be more of an introduction to the game for those who had never played. Admittedly, TSR wasn't thinking about an introductory game. In fact, reports since that time indicate that AD&D was originally going to be the only version of the game, and it was going to be directed primarily at those who'd either already played the original version of D&D, or those who had played other role-playing games and had at least a cursory knowledge of them. Wisely, however, the decision was made, and Holmes was given the task of doing exactly what he said he'd do, simplify the rules and edit it into a product that could be more easily consumed by role-players who had never played before. Holmes utilized the original 1974 box set of D&D, as well as Supplement 1, Greyhawk. This meant that the box set would have more of a Gygaxian influence than the overall original game. Now, the basic set was only intended to get players and characters from levels 1 to 3. The races, classes, and rules only covered gameplay to that point. At this point in the game split, it was assumed that once your characters got to level 3, you'd be ready to pick up the AD&D books and begin playing. However, they weren't going to make that easy on you. The rules between the two weren't identical, and there was no rule conversion chart or pamphlet available. If you were moving directly from the basic set to AD&D, you'd be expected to read the rules and figure it out on your own. Now, the original version of the basic set also came in two versions. A 48-page rulebook, which was sold by itself, and it had artwork by David C. Sutherland III. Or you had the box set, which came with the rulebook, a set of polyhedral dice, and supplemental materials, which early on were geomorphs and monster and treasure lists. Later, this would change, and we'll talk about this in a minute. Games Workshop in the UK published their own version of the basic set, with a cover done by John Blanche and artwork by Fangorn. In 1979, TSR had a dice shortage problem. 
Now, if you're just publishing the rule books, a dice shortage wouldn't be a problem. But when you've got a rule set in a box that comes with the dice you need to play the game, well, a dice shortage is one hell of a problem at that point. TSR's solution was to include two sheets of numbered, cutout cardstock chits that functioned eh, kind of like dice. And you'd get a coupon so you could order dice from TSR once they'd gotten more dice in. Backing up a year, in 1978, for the fourth printing of the basic set, the supplemental materials were replaced with Module B1, In Search of the Unknown. For printing 6 through 11, covering 1979 to 1982, the Module B2, The Keep on the Borderlands, was the included adventure. If the timing of the swap out seems a bit suspect, you're not the only one who feels that way. John Peterson, who was writing for Polygon, noted that the rotation out of the original supplemental materials and the inclusion of adventure modules coincided with Dave Arneson's 1977 royalty lawsuit against TSR. Peterson noted that, quote, previously, when Arneson sought a 5% royalty on the whole contents of the basic set, he was effectively asking for money that was going into Gygax's pocket. Now, with the inclusion of Module B1 instead, he would instead be asking for money earmarked for his, Arneson's, friend Mike Carr. It's been further noted that Carr only got royalties off the basic set for the two printings his module was included in. Once the sales increased, Module B2 was put in the set instead. The writer of that module? Gary Gygax. Okay, so after the basic set started making major bank, there came a problem. What do you do if you like these D&D rules, but you have no desire to upgrade to AD&D once you've reached the third level cap? For folks in the late 70s and very early 80s, you didn't really have any options. I mean, I guess you could have done what modelers call a kit bash. Crunch the numbers used for experience points for leveling up, level up your monsters accordingly, figure out how spells from the original edition of D&D would work, and then fit all of this into your new home-bashed system. Or you could have just decided to put D&D away and move on to something else. TSR saw the issue here as well, and in 1981 initiated a revision of the basic rules. Tom Mulvey was in charge of doing this, and he spun the rules even further away from AD&D than the first run had been. In fact, TSR intentionally decided that the basic rules would be the spiritual successor to the original rules, while AD&D would be an advancement of the mechanics developed for the original. Now, before I move on with all the other rules that came out as a result of this edition, let's take a look at what this revision brought to the table. The rulebook was larger. It was beefed up to 64 pages. The color scheme was also changed as this book was now red, while the original basic rules were a darkish blue. The cover art was changed as well, with Errol Otis handling the artwork for this cover. Keep on the Borderlands was still the included module for this set, and a set of dice were still included. However, this set also introduced the white crayon you would use to color the dice in. And for a whole lot of gamers of my generation, this was how you made sure you could read the numbers on your dice for a lot of years. Oh, and those dice, they were nowhere near the quality of what you get today. In fact, I know people that still have dice out of those sets that are so rounded off, you've almost got to stop them with something to get a number. If you don't know what I'm talking about, throw it your Google machine. I'm pretty sure I've seen a YouTube video or two out there with folks coloring the dice old school style. So check it out. You know what, actually, I'm going to go see if I can find some of those and then I'll link them to the YouTube page. So head on over there and check them out. There's nothing there 
sorry. Anyway, do all of that after you finish listening to the rest of this episode, obviously. So with the decision to pull the basic set away from AD&D, there was a need for rules to go past level three. That led to the creation of the expert set, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. It should also be noted that having Keep on the Borderlands included in this set, after having it around for some time in the original versions of the basic set, it made it one of the most widely known modules in D&D history, selling somewhere in the area of 750,000 copies a year. In fact, John Peterson argues we might have never heard of this module or had it be the gateway to D&D adventures if it hadn't been for Dave Arneson's lawsuit for royalties. Because if that hadn't happened, Gary Gygax probably wouldn't have started putting modules in the basic set and therefore wouldn't have needed or wanted to put his own module in there in order to keep the royalties in his own pocket. So there's something to be said for the legal process. By 1983, TSR decided again to revise the basic set, and Frank Mentzer got tapped to handle this revision. This updated set had a 64-page player's manual, a 48-page Dungeon Master's rulebook, six dice, a crayon to color them in, and a solo adventure, plus a scenario for the Dungeon Master to run a group through. That last change was made to encourage, or force maybe, dungeon masters to either create their own materials or to purchase modules, which of course would lead to more profits for TSR. The version of this basic set came in a very distinctive red box, and the cover art was handled by the illustrious artist Larry Elmore. For the record, this was my basic set. I turned 10 in 1983, and I remember picking this up with Christmas money in early 1984. I mean, I'd, I'd played the game before this, for sure, but it had always been with older kids, cousins, or the children of my aunt's boyfriends. This was the first time I'd bought my own D&D rules with my own money, and I was excited to find out I could, shh, I could buy D&D at the KB toy store in the mall. Shh, don't tell anybody. In fact, this is where I shout out Shane Welker, Brian Schaefer, and Glenn Busson, who were the first group I ever DM'd for. We played at recess in elementary school, and let's be honest, I sucked as a DM. But we had fun. Or at least I did. I can really only hope that they did too. Those are those were good times and, and some good memories. Anyway, this version of the basic set led to a series of box sets being created and released between 1983 and 1985. In addition to a new version of the expert rules, we also got companion rules, master rules, and immortals rules. And yes, I'm going to cover all of these. Be, just be patient. Patience, patience. I do want to note here that in 1984, TSR published a 10th anniversary Dungeons & Dragons collector set box set. It was a limited edition with only 1,000 copies being printed, and it was sold by mail and at Gen Con 17. This limited edition set had the rule books from the basic, expert, and companion sets, Modules AC2, AC3, B1, B2, and M1, which was called Blizzard Pass. It also had player character record sheets and dice. Needless to say, all thousand sets sold rather quickly and are highly sought after collector's items. If you've got one of these, I'd love to see some pics. Hit me up on the usual sources and maybe we can do a YouTube video, give you the opportunity to humble brag a little bit. Just saying, I would if I had one. In 1991, TSR decided again to revise the basic set. They called this new set the new easy-to-master Dungeons & Dragons game, and it was nicknamed the Black Box. Troy Denning got the assignment of the update, but he chose not to change the rules too much. 
One big change he did make was that the basic rules would cover character advancement through 5th level instead of 3rd. It should also be noted that these updated rules were presented twice. First, they came out in a 64-page rulebook, which was the updated version. Next, they were published as part of the Dungeon Card Learning Pack, which was a set of 48 cards that included a four-page supplementary mini-adventure. This was inspired by the SRA reading program and was developed to match up with the components of that program. Later in 1991, TSR published the Dungeons & Dragons Rules Cyclopedia, which was a single book that compiled and revised the rules from the basic, expert, companion, and master rules box sets in order for players to continue playing beyond the new black box. The basic set would get a final revision in 1994. Doug Stewart would handle this revision, which was titled The Classic Dungeons & Dragons Game. Stewart pulled the tutorial cards out of the set and instead used that material as sidebars in the single 128-page Rules and Adventure book. The box set also had a Dungeon Master's screen, a set of six plastic miniatures for players, 24 foldable enemy standees, a poster map, and a set of dice. Oh, and this final box was tan-sided. Okay, with the basic set covered, let's cover the rest of these box sets one at a time. The first version of the Expert set was released in 1981. Created by David Cook and Stephen R. Marsh, it was designed, as I mentioned earlier, to support character advancement from 4th level through 14th. This set contained its own adventure module, the Isle of Dread, which was included as an example of an outdoor adventure and setting. This was the royal blue colored box, by the way. I wanted to mention that because these boxes were color-coded for easy recognition. As with the basic set, this set also included a full set of dice. So if you owned the basic set and the expert set, now you had two full sets of dice. And yes, I blame these boxed sets for my dice addiction. Sue me. In 1983, the expert set got a revision when the basic set did. What TSR did this time, however, was have one designer in charge of all of the material. That meant that Frank Menser was the designer for all of the box sets in the line. Larry Elmore's artwork continued into the expert set, and the rulebook was 64 pages long with more of Elmore's artwork within. Again, you got dice, and again, you got the Isle of Dread as your module. For the record, if you're looking for that module these days, its designation is X1. Also, this revised version of the Expert Rules provides details for creating and running both wilderness adventures as well as a long-running campaign, which hadn't been present in previous versions. The Grand Duke of Karamaikos is presented in this version as a sample wilderness adventure area. And yeah, I probably blew the pronunciation. Again, sue me. Okay, <laughs> okay so let's move on to the companion set. This was the teal-colored box with teal-colored books. Released in 1984, Frank Menser was the author of this set as part of his top-down design for D&D. The companion set gave information on character levels 15 through 25. As with the expert rules, these rules provided new weapons, armor types, spells, and unarmed combat rules, and, oh yeah, more dice. Something else that debuted in the companion set were details on running a stronghold, along with the various expenses that came along with that. Why that is notable is that it had been somewhat expected since the start of D&D that once adventurers reached a certain level, they'd build their own strongholds and they'd manage them. 
whether or not they continued to adventure, it was kind of sort of expected that these mighty characters would build something that would potentially outlast them. These rules made that possible. The DM's guide of this set gets into more elaborate rules for running these higher level campaigns and includes feudal system rules for use with the larger areas players will be in, as well as the strongholds and towns they will potentially build and or found. Douglas Niles and Gary Spiegel developed The War Machine, which was basically the final section of the DMG for this set. The War Machine was a method for DMs to utilize to deal with large-scale battles, which became much more possible with these new rules and the higher levels of the characters. Megan C. Robertson reviewed the companion set for White Dwarf Magazine in January of 1985. It got 7 out of 10 stars, with the note being that this set, quote, provides some ideas for things a little more interesting than retirement, end quote. Next up were the Master Rules, which came in a black box. Again, Frank Menser gets creative credit for this, and when it was released in 1985, it was intended to take characters from levels 26 to 36. Now, there are probably a whole lot of you who've never had a character get to level 20, much less think about going higher than that. A lot of that comes from the differences in philosophy as the game progressed. At this time, the overall thought was that campaigns could, in theory anyway, run forever. So with that in mind, TSR was bound and determined to continue to provide material, and therefore incentive, to do so. The player's guide of this set provided new spells for clerics, magic users, and druids, as well as a new class called the Mystic. The Mystic was, for all intents and purposes, an empty-handed warrior. Demi-humans, like dwarves, halflings, and elves, they got some new rules as well. Weapon mastery was first introduced in this set, and it's something that has continued to be built upon throughout the various editions of the game over the years. As with previous editions, new gear was introduced, and this time a full list of available items was provided. The DM's book expanded the magic items and monsters, and that's the bulk of the book. However, there are more suggestions and rules for dealing with higher level parties and the issues that all of this magic and magic items can cause. The concept of anti-magic was also introduced here as a way for the DM to balance his high level game. Paul Cockburn reviewed this set for White Dwarf in January 1986. He gave it 8 out of 10 stars and called it, quote, an intelligent, subtle, and interesting extension to the game, end quote. All right, we've got one more box to examine. The Immortals rules were released in 1986. Frank Menser, that busy boy that he was, authored the final box set in the line. It came in a gold box, and the books were, as all the other books in this set, color-coordinated to the box. As you might expect, the Immortals rules were created for dealing with characters who've completed all of the other levels of the game, and therefore achieved immortality. These rules provided for the creation of power points, which allowed characters to exchange XP for points that allowed for the permanent enhancement of ability scores. In addition, a whole new magic point system was introduced to help characters power their new, really powerful spells. With characters with powers this extreme, a new system for combat and magic was necessary, and this set provided it. The system also provided a history of immortals within the D&D world, including lists and locations for those who were best known. Graham Davis reviewed the rules for White Dwarf in issue 83. He found the system very interesting, though he did note he couldn't actually imagine getting to play it. 
Look, overall, all of these various box sets sold quite well. Again, an off-stated reason for this is the fact you could purchase the box sets at toy stores and some bookstores, which that wasn't normal for role-playing games at the time. This allowed for more eyes on them than usual for role-playing games, which traditionally were only available in hobby stores and comic shops, and those few game shops that had kind of opened up through the 80s. For me, these boxes were a gateway into role-playing and buying role-playing gear. So to have an opportunity to talk about them at any length is really like reliving some of my childhood. However, there was another system released when the basic set first came out, and I promised we'd look into that as well. So with that in mind, let's talk about Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. Now, for whatever reason, TSR chose to release the three core rulebooks backwards. The Monster Manual dropped in 1977, the Player's Handbook in 1978, and the Dungeon Master's Guide in 1979. I'm going to review them in the order they should have been released, so just stay with me. The Player's Handbook, credited to Gary Gygax with cover art by David A. Trampler, was a 128-page hardcover book. This version brought together classes from various supplements over the previous years, including the Assassin, the Druin, the Monk, the Paladin, and the Thief. Classes such as the Bard, Illusionist, and Ranger, which had been magazine exclusive, also found their way into the pages of the Player's Handbook. And yeah, Thieves weren't originally in D&D. They were developed over time. We'll, we'll talk about that another time. The Player's Handbook also provided some new information on non-human races, such as dwarves, elves, and halflings. It should be noted that these races were still not equal to humans, but the overall differences weren't quite as bad as they'd been in the original version. It's been noted on more than one occasion that the Player's Handbook does not include all of the information one needs to play a session of D&D, and that was by design. While the Player's Handbook has all of the information players need, other information was provided in the other two core books. Don Turnbull reviewed this version of the Player's Handbook in issue 10 of White Dwarf, giving it a 10 out of 10 rating. He said, I don't think I've ever seen a product sell so quickly as did the handbook when it first appeared on the game's workshop stand at Dragon Meat. By the way, Mr. Turnbull was writing out of the UK, just so we're all on the same page. He continued, Whereas the original rules are ambiguous and muddled, the handbook is a detailed and coherent game system and very sophisticated. And that, kids, was one of the biggest differences between AD&D and D&D. While D&D was intended for the entry-level gamer, AD&D was custom-built for those who'd been gaming for a bit and wanted rules that would allow their games to be more detailed and, quite frankly, as real as a fantasy game can be. By the way, this version got several foreign editions as well, dropping in the UK, Australia, France, and Germany, among other countries. Now, you can't run a game without a Dungeon Master's Guide, and TSR dropped theirs in 79, as I mentioned. Again, Gary Gygax is the listed author, and the cover art credit goes to David C. Sutherland III. As expected, this book covered all of the essential rules the DM needed in order to run a game. Among these was how to create and maintain player characters, how to utilize non-player characters, handling combat, and running adventures, as well as multi-session campaigns. The DMG also had descriptions of magic items and treasure, along with random monster encounters and some basic monster stats. The DMG also had tables. 
lots of tables. The idea was that the DM could mark the pages with the tables on it and be able to, at a glance, add some more flavor to the game if he needed to. One of the first supplements for this edition was the DM screen, which is why I'm putting it here. It had two heavy-duty tri-fold boards containing the most frequently used tables on them. This made it even easier for the DM to have the tables they might need the most right at their fingertips. But of course, the DM would need some monsters. That's where the monster manual comes into play. Released first in 1977, Gary Gygax was the credited author with cover art by David C. Sutherland III. The monster manual contained more than 350 monsters gathered from multiple sources, including Greyhawk, Blackmore, Dragon Magazine, and other sources. For those who've been cursing their DM for years, it should be noted that this edition of the Monster Manual was the debut of the Mimic, which we've used to torture our poor, unsuspecting players ever since. Something that would later be a bit controversial was the depiction of some of its female monsters as topless, such as the succubus, demon, and sylph. This would draw criticism to the game over the years as being misogynistic and unnecessarily sexual. Later printings and editions would address some of these concerns. Don Turnbull reviewed both the Monster Manual and the Dungeon Master's Guide, and he gave them both 10 out of 10. And his words for these were filled with as much praise as he had had for the player's handbook. Of course, this is AD&D. That meant there were going to be more supplements released. For the first edition of AD&D, there were Deities and Demigods, which dropped in 1980, The Fiend Folio in 1981, which by the way was the first D&D product to drop simultaneously in both the US and the UK. The Monster Manual dropped in 1983, and Oriental Adventures and Unearthed Arcana dropped in 1985. Unearthed Arcana was one of the first TSR AD&D releases to mostly just compile materials from other sources, specifically Dragon Magazine, and put it all into one book. With the new editions of the game out and selling well, D&D and AD&D would continue to chug along, drawing new players into the game and making bank for TSR. AD&D would see another revision in 1989, but that revision, also known as Second Edition, is so large it's worthy of its own episode, which we'll give it another time. So for now, we've come to the end of today's tour. Next week is our post-Thanksgiving episode. What are we going to talk about? Well, you're just going to have to tune in and find out next Friday. Thanks, as always, for listening in every Friday. Your continued support is causing our little show to keep growing, and the more we grow, the more opportunities we have to spread the word and do new things. One of those things will be happening shortly after the first of the year. I'll be appearing as a guest on the Tales from the Tavern podcast in January. I'll give you more info on that as we get closer, but I'm mentioning it now so you can give the show a listen and help them push that show a little bit. Plus, you can see how the format for the show works because you will have a chance to be a part of the show when I'm on it. Actually, you can be a part of the show anytime they do it, but, you know, you're going to want to do it because I'm on it. I'm just saying. I need to shout out the folks at Pixabay.com since they're the reason we have the cool music we do for our intro and outro for this show. So thank you. As always, you can reach us on Facebook at Roleplaying History Podcast, Twitter at Roleplaying P. YouTube, we've got a channel, Role Playing History Podcast. You know what to do when you get there. 
If you're an emailer, hit us up, roleplayinghistorypodcast at gmail.com. All right, so after I hit the tryptophan coma on Thursday, next Friday we're going to cover a topic you guys chose. What's it going to be? You're just going to have to tune in on Black Friday and find out. Until then, I'm Wayne Davis, and you're Role Playing History.